He is risen. He is risen indeed. Welcome to Easter here at Mayflower Congregational Church. We are so thrilled you decided to join us for our streamed worship service celebrating the resurrected Christ. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and together with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, we are your interim pastoral team. We are joined this morning by Dr. Julia Brown, our director of music, and Scott Bosher, our choir director. The light that the world tried to extinguish cannot be put out. Today we've illuminated candles once again, proclaiming the transforming power of God. As the light returns, we give thanks that God's transforming love has been, is now, and will ever be at work within us. Today we celebrate new life, new joy, new possibilities. Christ is alive, living among us. As we see the candles blaze, we acknowledge there still is pain and suffering in the world, but we place our trust in God and in the way shown by Jesus Christ. In the midst of darkness, there is light. In pain of death, there is life. In the face of what appears to be overwhelming odds, God is at work in us and in the world for justice and peace, compassion and love, and life abundant. Christ is risen. Christ is risen in us. For whenever we gather in his name, he is alive. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. While it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb, but the stone had been removed. There was only linen, no body. Mary was puzzled and asked the gardener, Sir, where have you laid him? Mary, Jesus replied. And then she recognized him and knew him. Alleluia! Christ is risen. Christ, Christ is, is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Jesus told Mary, do not hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. So Mary went to announce to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Alleluia. Alleluia. Christ, Christ is, is risen. risen. Christ, Christ is, is risen, risen indeed. indeed.
Our first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they may go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Please pray with me. Holy One, on this blessed day, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you have given us a promise. We give you thanks that you have promised us eternal life. We give you thanks that we exist with you. We give you thanks that Christ has risen. Christ has risen indeed. Amen. There are different accounts of the resurrection in each of the Gospels. Basically, we have a synoptic tradition that seems to be based on Mark, and Mark seems to be based on oral sources that existed before he wrote his Gospel. And we have another story by John. John is more intricate, and again, as always with John, Jesus is in charge of everything. Mark has three different endings. That's because two of them were added later. The first ending finishes the story with the women leaving the tomb and not saying anything because they are afraid. I like that ending because it leaves mystery. It leaves possibility. It leaves the experience in our hands. The two other endings are also wonderful because they have Jesus appearing and giving instructions to the disciples or angels appearing and giving additional instructions to the disciples. John has a different tact. John has people reaching the tomb, finding it empty, and the angels there. But Mary leaves and goes into the garden. As she goes into the garden, she sees 
a person she thinks is the gardener. We'll come back to that in a minute because it's very interesting that she doesn't recognize Jesus. In fact, when she does recognize Jesus, she calls him rabbi or rabboni, and Jesus says, don't touch me, I haven't ascended yet. Very mystical phrase there. How is Mary seeing him? More about that in a minute. Now, there's some commonalities to all the stories. The stone is rolled away. There's a presence of Mary. The announcement of the resurrection. And the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. This gives us two different issues as we try to understand this great misery, mystery called resurrection. The first is raised by Bishop John Shelby Spong, and he talks about resurrection. Resurrection is not necessarily an animated body. Resurrection is a cosmic event. Resurrection affirms everything in the Old Testament. Resurrection affirms Genesis and God's creation when God steps back and looks and said, it is good. It is very good. Resurrection is a cosmic event, something that Paul hints at in the eighth chapter of Romans where all creation is groaning for salvation. And the resurrection of the Christ, the Christ that was present with God at the beginning, the Christ that consumed Jesus, the Christ that fully was Jesus, and Jesus fully was the Christ, the Christ affirms all creation. Resurrection as a cosmic event. But there are many believers who take a second position. The second issue involves physical resuscitation of a corpse. And for some Christians, they must believe that the body of Jesus was reanimated, that this was not a spiritual resurrection, this was a physical resurrection. And there's a biblical tradition for that. The Old Testament prophets, especially Elijah and Elisha, raised people from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so believing in a physical resurrection or resuscitation is biblical. But the people resurrected by the prophets and Lazarus resurrected by Jesus eventually died. The Christ will not die. The Christ was, the Christ is, the Christ will be. Now, as we look at the concept of resurrection, that happens to be a trait common to humans. In fact, the meaning of resurrection has changed over time in various cultures and various religions. Neanderthals, about 25,000 years ago, 
in modern-day Iran gave evidence that they believed in resurrection. Anthropologists discovered a grave in the 1950s. The grave had what appeared to be a very important person, a male. There were spears to accompany the male into the afterlife. There were other artifacts. There were trinkets that appeared to be valuable with the bones. And surrounding the entire grave, surrounding the entire grave was a layer of flowers that people had put there. And by the way, the Neanderthals are very closely related to us. When we ask the question, where did the Neanderthals go? Take a blood sample and check your DNA. You'll find Neanderthal uh, genes inside the blood, inside the genome. Well, Marcus Aurelius, the Roman philosopher and emperor, also talked about resurrection. He talked about it in terms of an afterlife. Aurelius said that think about life after death. If there is life after death, he postulated in his meditations, then it will be good because the gods are good and the gods have given us a good life. And if there is no resurrection, then it will be like a big sleep. Either way, human beings win. I don't know if I agree with this complete assessment, but he was concerned, like Neanderthals and like many tribal societies, that there is something after life. Today we have people who have experienced something we call NDEs, near-death experiences. There appear to be commonalities to those experiences. There's a debate in the scientific community. One school says that is just the brain shutting down. Another school says, and it's also composed of highly qualified scientists, that there is something going on after death, and it's not simply the ending of brain activity. Adolf Dietrich, a German psychologist, says, this is normal for human beings. We experience a life outside of our normal, ordinary, everyday existence. Human beings dream. We dream at night. We daydream. Sometimes we meditate. And we all, whether religious or not, have those aha experiences where everything suddenly seems to make sense. Dietrich classifies the aha experiences into three categories. The first one he calls the boundless ocean. This is when we melt into everything. 
and see that we are part of a greater whole. And the greater whole makes cosmic sense. Dietrich calls that the heavenly experience. But there's a second category. The second category he labels as fear of ego dissolution. This is when we feel ourselves slowly disintegrating and understand that our ego is disappearing. For people who can't grab the boundless ocean, that is a frightening aspect because there is nothing left. Dietrich calls this hell. I like to think of the phrase that John the baptizer used. If we think about that first experience, the boundless ocean, Remember John's words as Jesus approaches to be baptized? I must grow less. He must grow more. There's no fear of a dissolving ego. There's the realization that the spark of divinity with us is going to be united with the greater divinity, the real divinity, the Christ. And that leads to Dietrich's third category. He calls that visionary restructuralization. This, Dietrich says, is the stuff of visions. People have them. They have them when they meditate. They have them when they look in the eyes of their babies. They have them in moments of great fear, in near-death experiences, in times when the world seems to fall apart. And it's common to humanity. American scientist John Horgan argues that there are different levels of consciousness. He says that in the West, we are so caught up in rationalism that we fail to recognize all of the different types of methods we can use to comprehend, to think, to intuit, to imagine, to dream, to be captivated by poetry, art, and music, to see outside of ourselves. And he argues, as a scientist, it would be nice to believe that there is resurrection and there is life after death, but we can't prove it. Why? Horgan says, it's because scientists do not have the tools or the methods 
to measure all the levels of consciousness. And that brings us back to an empty tomb. To Mark, where the women will say nothing because they are afraid. To John, where Mary Magdalene is in the garden. She sees the risen Christ and does not realize it. It leads us back to the mystery of our faith. Because in the final analysis, Easter is a mystery. All our theologies, all our rationalism, all our speculation, all can only capture the mystery of Easter by speculating and believing. And since we believe so many different ways, we need to tolerate the diversity of beliefs. We need to celebrate the diversity of beliefs. And we need to come to the understanding. I don't know exactly what it means, but I believe with every fiber of my being. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Happy Easter. Rise, heart, thy Lord is risen. So proclaims our choir in this morning's Easter anthem. This is a setting of a poem by George Herbert written in 1633 and set to music by Ralph Vaughan Williams proclaiming our risen Christ. He is risen, not to become one who is now distant from us, but quite the opposite. Here, Christ greets us in his rising as our familiar friend who loves us and who offers us his hand as we rise each morning, who takes thee by the hand that thou likewise with him mayst rise. To rise like him means to strive to be like him in our sacrifice and service to others and to the whole of creation. While we still gather in many places, we gather in one love. We lift our hands up in our sanctuaries of place and heart, 
bathing our soul in love's own liturgy, praising God who made both heaven and earth, sensing his presence and his mystery, to give him thanks for all we have been given. Sharing these gifts with others is both a joy and a blessing. We now live our days redeemed, fulfilled, forgiven, ready to rest in him when he calls, to rise with him and greet the day with praise. May we raise a new song this Easter morning.
Holy Lord, it is an honor and privilege to give back to you. Please continue to tune our response to you to the striking music of Christ's sacrifice. May we take the joy of what you have done for us and may it spill over into all of our interactions. May we live lives of generosity and grace. Amen. you to join us in this Easter Eucharist. Wherever you are and however you're watching, we ask you to celebrate with juice, coffee, wine, or whatever you're drinking. We also invite you to take a piece of bread, a cracker, a cookie, or whatever you have handy. We ask you to place these elements before you so that they may be blessed and you may join in the whole body of Christ to celebrate the Lord's Supper on this holy day. Please take a moment to gather your elements. Amen. Let's pray. Bless, O oh Lord, these elements that your people have placed before them. Let them be transformed into spirit and truth, into the presence of Christ, while we await the time when we may gather again to celebrate communion in this holy place, together as the body of Christ. Now hear us as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but please deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this people for all who love God and trust in God's unconditional love. Let all who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the salvific power of the Lord Jesus, and who desire to live in union with Christ in all the holy ways God has experienced, now come with gladness to this table of the Lord. We praise you, Lord, for these gifts of bread and wine. We offer ourselves as your people in your service. For Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Alleluia and Alleluia, Alleluia and Amen. God of Abraham and Sarah, and Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God, our Lord and Savior. You, O oh God, are blessed forever. When Jesus could have stumbled over our distrust, he called us to follow him into your promises. When our rejection could have weakened his faith, he grew strong in his commitment to deny himself. When he could have remained silent, he declared your salvation for all even to those not yet alive. When he could have hidden his face in fear, he turned toward Jerusalem, going to his death and into the grave, that you might give life to all who had died to sin. He is risen, he is risen indeed. Let us proclaim the mystery of Easter. Let us proclaim the great mystery of faith. Let us pray. Lord God, send your Holy Spirit upon us, that the bread which we break may be to us the communion of the body of Christ, and the cup which we bless the communion of his blood. Grant that being joined together in him with our various elements, we may attain to the unity of the faith and grow in all things unto him who is the head Christ, our risen Lord, amen.
When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down at the table. And Jesus said, I've been so eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I will not eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took some bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Ministering to you in the name of Christ, we share the bread. Then he took a cup and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. This cup is of the new covenant between God and the people of the Lord, an agreement confirmed by my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you, ministering to you in the name of Christ, we share the cup. Let us give thanks. With gratitude in our hearts, we remember the sacrifice 
And we thank you, Lord, that you have refreshed us at this table. As we remember the risen Jesus, the victor over Calvary and death, we believe that when we are brought home to you, when we are gathered with our sisters and brothers from all ends of the earth, we will sing your glory and grace forever. God in community, holy in one. Amen. Christ of God, with our great Creator and the Holy Spirit, we affirm you and give thanks to God for your resurrection. Glory be to you, Lord Jesus. Alleluia. Amen and amen. Children of God, when they were finished with that first communion, they went into the garden and sang a hymn. Hear now the joyous notes that will resound through the ages. Christus Victor, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Children of God, he is risen. He is risen indeed. 
So go from this place laughing, dancing, and singing with joy in your heart. You are in the presence of God, and God will never abandon you, not even at the end of the age. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Alleluia, Amen.